Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. where you have been totally reliant on another person for your, for your safety, for your well-being. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a few years ago, I, I was in Peru, in the Amazon, and I was, I was with a couple of friends, and our guide asked us if we wanted to go on a midnight hike through, through the jungle. And my friends were like, oh, we're a bit tired. And I was like, yes, yeah, I'd, I'd love that, that'd be brilliant. So, um, uh, so we went for our walk just myself and, and the guide, and I became very aware that I was totally reliant on this guide for, for, my, for my safety. Um, I asked him, have you ever seen, seen a jaguar around here, when you know, we've been walking around here? And he said, yeah, loads of times. The, the last time I was here, actually, I was like, okay, okay, okay. It would be really cool to see a jaguar. But in another more honest sense, it would be really cool not to see a <laughs> jaguar. Um, but I was hanging on my guide's every footstep. I knew that if I was separated from him, I couldn't follow a path that he had set out for me. Um, yeah, and if I couldn't follow that path, jaguar food in, in my head. But uh, thankfully, here I am. Um, so yeah, I was reliant on literally following his every footstep. Um, today, we're continuing in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're looking at chapter 2 today, uh, verses 5 to 18. So if you've got your Bibles, it would be really helpful to, uh, to follow it along. The words will be also in the screen a, a little later on. Um, but so today, we're going to look at the one who walked our journey before us. The one who paved a way for us. Um, now, the book of Hebrews is written to a people under pressure. In the Roman Empire, where we find the recipients of this letter, there were two state-accepted religions. Uh, there was worshipping the Roman gods, and there uh, was Judaism. And the, the hearers of this letter, of the letter of Hebrews, um, many of whom would have been new converts uh, to Christianity from Judaism, and they had a choice. They could, they could drop uh, the Jesus bit, still worship the God of Israel, uh, was Christ really at the heart of who they saw God to be? Or they could risk persecution, their lives, to live for Jesus. Uh, we may not face exactly the same choice today, but we all have that choice to stand firm in Christ to consider Jesus above all else. The letter of Hebrews is an encouragement, an exhortation to stand firm, to keep going in the Christian faith. To achieve this, Hebrews is all about Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews wants his readers to really grasp who this Jesus is. So uh, chapter 1 that we looked at last week makes amazing claims of Christ's deity, Jesus is God. We read the sun is the perfect radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. 
Hebrews 2, where we are today, speaks of Christ's humanity, the extraordinary claim that Jesus, fully God, was made lower than the angels for a little while, lowering himself into our humanity. Um, so I'm going to read verses uh, 5 to 8 of chapter 2 in a second. But before I do, so sandwiched in the middle of this passage are a couple of verses from Psalm 8. Um, so I want you to picture that the writer of the Hebrews uh, is hearing this, this psalm, uh, Psalm 8, read aloud, perhaps at a synagogue, synagogue in a public place. And as he hears these verses, he's really wrestling with them, kind of chewing over them. Um, yeah, thinking about the picture of humanity that we see in these verses. And that the psalm that the, um, we see here is basically David uh, looking at the stars, creation, and going, going wow. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever had one of those moments where you've just gone wow at the natural world. There is something so majestic, so, so grand about such natural beauty that, that points to something greater. And this is David's mindset writing Psalm 8. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can have one of those wow experiences. And our response is, well, that's amazing. But I, I'm so small and insignificant. I'm just a little dot on a big planet. Um, the psalm quoted in our passage today gives the most amazing picture of our importance to God. In our passage from Hebrews 2, the, so the writer quotes Psalm 8, and I've actually included, if we get the passage up there, just one more verse of the psalm uh, that is included in our Hebrews passage. So what you see in red there, it's not in the Hebrews passage, but it is uh, just a little continuation of the psalm. Um, and it just gives us a really helpful context uh, to the passage we're looking at today. So let's, let's read it together. Uh, so verse 5 says... It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mind, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. As the writer of the Hebrews hears Psalm 8 being read out, he hears the most incredible picture of God's relationship with man and the creative world. That, that God is mindful of us, that he, that he cares for us, that God sees us, mankind, as the pinnacle of his creation, crowning us with glory uh, and honour. The only creation made in the image of God, made for relationship with him. The dignity and the responsibility given to man, given to each of us, is beyond all else of creation. But, but now... In this passage, uh, in, in Hebrews, we really see uh, the writer of Hebrews grappling uh, with what he's heard. In verse 8 we read, In putting everything under them, 
God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. The, the writer is hearing that God left nothing that is not subject to mankind, but, but the reality he finds himself in seems quite different. In fact, rather than everything subject to mankind, it seems more like the other way around. Man's position, relation with the created world, with the creator God, is not how it was intended to be. Man is not living in his created purpose. And it feels like we find ourselves in that same imbalance, disorder now. We see the devastating effect of the brokenness of, our na of the natural world. Natural disasters, climate change. These things seem to happen to us, against us. Uh, and we, see that we also see the disorder and brokenness within ourselves too. We, we feel that instead of everything being subject to us, we are in fact subject to it. Now, when, when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God, they said to God, I, I want to be above you. I don't want to be subject to you. You have put all created things under my rule. Why should you rule me? And, and ever since then, we have all done the same. We have inherited that desire to put ourselves on top, to, to be our own God. Now, wonderfully, our, our passage today doesn't say, here's a picture of uh, man's place within creation, and here's the current reality of the brokenness of the natural order, end, full stop. No, that, that would be pretty hopeless. But no, the writer of the Hebrews points us emphatically to where we find our hope. Where we see the restoration, the fulfilment of what was described in Psalm 8. So verse 9 says, but we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus. This simple phrase offers a totally different perspective. A simple phrase to hang on to as we look at the brokenness of the world around us and the battles of our own brokenness within. But we do see Jesus. Look at Jesus. And why do we look to Jesus? Because Jesus lived the life, walked the path that we could not. And as we uh, read that quote from Psalm 8 in our passage, we can see and read it as a description of collective humanity, but also as a reference to a singular individual, where we read them uh, in your Bible. Some translations will read him. And what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is the man. He is that singular individual. When he was made lower than the angels for a little while, he was the one who did not seek to put himself on top. He put himself to the bottom. In Jesus, the man, we see the representative of humanity that we all need. So we, we have looked at man's creation, crowned with glory and honour. We have looked at man's position, subject to the world, to sin, both external and internal. And now, through the rest of this passage, we're going to look at man's salvation, restoration. Um, 
So let's read on a little further together from verse 9. So, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Uh, Verse 10 describes Jesus as the pioneer of our salvation. Now, Isaiah, have you ever, have you been on a walk and you, you come to a section where, where the path is totally overgrown? There's long grass, brambles, stinging nettles. Now, in that situation, you don't want to be the first person to walk through that path, do you? You want someone else to go first before you so that you can walk along the now much easier trodden path behind them. No, please, after you. Um, We were in need of a pioneer, someone to go before us, to walk the path that we could not. And just for the rest of our time, looking at this passage, we're going to look at three things this passage says about Jesus, our pioneer. Uh, Firstly, it was Jesus' humanity that enabled him to walk the path that we could not. We're going to just, uh, I'm just going to skip a little bit ahead to verses 14 to 18, uh, which I'm going to read now. So since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those are being tempted. As we read this passage, the the writer of of Hebrews is emphasising again that not only do we need someone to, to walk the path before us, but in Jesus we have someone who has done just that. And he is the only perfect one who could have done it. Look to Jesus. Look at verse 14 with me. Since their children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And verse 17, for this reason he had to be made made like them, fully human in every way. Jesus was and is our man. Our rescuer had to be uh, human to, to truly be able to taste death for humanity and Jesus was only a human being could sacrifice himself for humanity 
and be a full and perfect representative for, for human sin. Jesus was. Look at Jesus. Jesus, in stepping down from heaven, born as a human, chooses to identify with us. He identifies with us in our humanity. Jesus knew that, that humanity was, was marked with, with a, by a frustration, as we spoke about before. We looked at previously how man was not living how he intended to be. And, and we, we know that reality, that frustration, through our own lived experience too. And as we feel those, those pangs of, of humanity, we, we, we follow a God who has walked in our shoes. He knows us. He has been tempted as we have been tempted and experienced emotions as we have experienced. We worship, we follow one who knows those pangs, those frustrations, and we are known by him. Um, secondly, I just want to look at how so Christ came not only to share our humanity, but to transform it. So let's go back to verse 10 together. So verse 10 reads, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Uh, let, let me be clear, to be human is a place of, of honour and dignity. We are created beings woven together in love by the one who is the creator himself. As humans we are made in the image of God. We are crowned with glory and honour and God has put everything under our feet. And yet, because of our sin, we, we were no longer crowned. In fact, we had traded our true Glorious crowns for, for shiny, appealing, but tacky and plastic equivalent, thinking they were the real deal. Now, instead of creation being under our feet, being subject to us, we feel and experience um, being subject to the fallen world. But wonderfully, in Jesus, God has a brighter prospect for his people. Things can be different. In verse 10, we see that God's purpose for mankind is to bring many sons to glory. But how did he do this? Well, again, look at the man, Jesus. Um, we'll see in this verse that the person and the work of Christ is displayed. We read, God makes the pioneer of their, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Christ was made perfect through suffering. Now, um, this is at first perhaps a little confusing. It sounds like we're saying Jesus wasn't perfect uh, before he suffered. Uh, but we read uh, throughout the Bible, we know uh, that God has always been perfect. In, a moral, in that moral sense, Jesus always was perfect, sinless. But the word perfect, as we read it in this verse, can be understood more like like fully qualified. God makes the pioneer of their sal salvation perfect, fully qualified through what he suffered. Jesus is and was made fully qualified. Look at Jesus. Now, finally, let's look 
at what Jesus, our pioneer, has achieved for us. So verse 11 reads, Both the one who makes people holy and, the, and those who are made holy are of the same family. Now this, this is a passage where you come across a verse and you, you think, okay, wait, hang on a minute. What, what did that actually just say? So let's just read it and go through it together. So uh, from verse 11, it says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Now, um, in, in this country and the, the West as a whole, uh, we don't really have much of a concept of, of holiness anymore. So our idea of right and wrong is based more on uh, the harm or offence we might cause another person. So no harm, no problem. Slight offence, big problem. So things like sexual promiscuity, drink, porn, drugs, are no problem, as long as it doesn't harm another person. Whereas other parts of the world, holiness, purity, honour, even cleanliness, are front and centre of what right and wrong looks like. So the other day I saw something and thought, that is totally normal in our culture, but it doesn't sit right with me. Um, and it made me think, almost have a bit of an understanding about why some cultures might look at aspects of our culture and behaviour um, in this country with, with a different lens of what right and wrong looks like and think, that is wrong, that is unholy. And the reason I mention this is to think about that division between holiness and unholiness. Isaiah 6, verse 3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. To be holy, perfect, pure, is to be set apart. To be set apart from that which is unholy, imperfect, impure. Something that is holy must be separate from that which is unholy. But God, set apart by the nature of his holiness, looking upon our unholiness, came to us, entered into our humanity. He walked in our shoes and took upon himself our shame and our suffering. He became man. To some cultures, these verses we have looked at today are some of the most outrageous found in the whole Bible. But the one who, who makes people holy and is himself holiness. And those who are made holy are of the same family. A unity of, of the holy and those who were once unholy. Made possible only by the sacrifice of the perfect, sinless Christ, fully man, our perfect pioneer. Fully God, our perfect saviour. More and more in our culture today, there, there is an us and a them. Those who have the right views on whatever topic, and those who have the wrong views on whatever topic. When God looks upon us 
in our sin. We could not have been more far apart from him. Perfect, holy God. Unholy, imperfect man. The, the ultimate and most extreme, us and them, divide. But God did not distance himself. In fact, he was filled with compassion and he gave his one and only son that we may be free from sin and one with him. Look at the man, Jesus. And this is our example of how we are to relate to others around us. When I'm talking to someone and I think, oh, that, that jars with how I would view things, what, how I would do things, or even... I think that was wrong. We, we are not indignant or even surprised. We know the brokenness of the world around us and the brokenness inside us. We are reminded of how we once were, of our unholiness, brokenness that has been crucified with Christ. Because of Christ's sacrifice for us, we no longer stand in this identity. We are still being made like Jesus every day. So in our nature, we still walk with struggle with that unholiness and sin. So to follow Christ is to see broken people wrapped in unholiness and to have compassion, to go towards them in Christ as Jesus did for us. In, in this passage, we've seen that Jesus was the man who lived the life that we were not able to live. He walked the path we were not able to walk. He met every standard for the perfect and holy life. He is the man. Now, I want you, now to, I want you to imagine your favourite your favorite sports team. Or if you don't have one, imagine you have a favourite sports team. Um, okay, but imagine they, they, win, they win their big final, whatever it is that is. They've won the big final, the Champions League, the World Cup, whatever that is. And you're there to support them, you're there to witness it. And um, you're wearing their colours, you're wearing the shirt, you, you feel a part of it. And um, as they're, they're about to lift the, the trophy, the captain sees you and he, he points to you and he's like, you know, come on, come on up here. And in fact, they give you, they give you a winner's medal. And then with the captain, you, you lift that trophy aloft. You have done absolutely nothing to earn the victory, but here you are in team colours, sharing in that victory. This is what Jesus has done for us. Not winning a football or cricket match, but living the perfect, holy life. Defeating sin and death that we might share in his identity as a son, a daughter of God. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. What an amazing reality. That we, unholy, have been made holy and brought into the family of God. Sons and daughters. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus walked in our shoes. Not only that, but in those shoes, he walked a path that no one else could. Jesus is the man. He's our man. Look at him. He is our fully qualified pioneer. The perfect, 
holy one, the fully human man who gave himself for us, for humanity in our sin and unholiness. He is our man. He is our Jesus. He walked in our shoes that we might walk with him. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And why don't we just stand to our feet now as we just respond um, in prayer and worship. We look to you now, Jesus. Thank you that you came down from heaven to us. Thank you that you walked in our shoes. We just pray now that as we reflect on how you draw near to us, that you came near to us, that we would draw close to you now, Lord. May we see you, Jesus, as the centre of our identity, all that we are. Just pray now that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. What a privilege it is to worship, to be in communion with the Holy God. I just pray, Father, that you would um, just reveal, just um, lead us further into that this morning. We worship you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.